Welcome to the Living Library Radio Podcast Project. This project aims to share human stories of immigration and integration by highlighting diverse stories of transition, settlement, and belonging. This series tells the stories of newcomers living, working, and building their lives in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. The Living Library Project is a storytelling program of the New Canadian Centre. This radio podcast series is produced by the New Canadian Centre in partnership with Trent Radio and hosted by me, Jill Stavely. Launched in September 2018, the Living Library Project was established with the goal of sharing the diverse and compelling stories of newcomers through public speaking engagements. Since then, it has grown into a multimodal storytelling project. In this series, we bring you the stories of six newcomers living, working, and building their lives in Peterborough, Ontario. These are stories of home, belonging, loss, hope, community, and so much more. Getting to Canada is one thing, but what do you do once you've landed? For Abir, finding a community where she and her family felt safe and comfortable was the number one priority. In this episode, Abir tells us how she ended up in Canada and why she's now motivated to help others find their own community. Welcome. Welcome to Trent Radio. Could you, you please introduce yourself to us? My name is Abira Salehi, and I work with the New Canadian Centre as a settlement worker in schools. Wonderful. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Where are you from? I am originally from Syria. I lived, I was born and raised there in Syria, and I moved from Syria to Dubai when I was 23. Could you tell us where both of those places are? Where they are? Yeah. Sure. So Syria is in Middle East. It is lovely country, or it was, mm -hmm. and I hope it will come again a lovely country. Yeah. So Syria located in the, in the Middle East, it's at the north of uh, Arabic Union, mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. It has the view of a Mediterranean Sea. Oh, Okay. And you said that you grew up in Syria and you moved to Dubai. Yeah. I was born and raised in Syria. I went to study civil engineer wow. when I was there and I had a beautiful life. I am from the capital. Damascus is the capital and I'm from there. When I had freedom to go to university, to learn how to drive, to learn how to communicate and how um, to advocate for my rights. When I got married in 2003, I had to move to Dubai to live with my husband, okay. who was originally from Iraq and had another beautiful life there. The transition was big because I moved from the oldest capital in the world to the most modern city in the world. Right. <laughs> it was big and I was by, all by myself there. Mm -hmm. So, but I was excited, you know, when you are young mm -hmm. and you just got married, you just moved and had your dream come true. How old were you? I was 22, going oh. to 23. Yeah. So before you moved to Dubai, mm -hmm. growing up in the oldest, mm -hmm. the oldest capital, what was it like growing up there? I do remember that I came from big family. I have, I used to have, let's say, because most of them are dead now. I used to have six uncles uh -huh. and five aunties. And we have that big building, which has five floors we still have it until yeah. now and we used to get together with my grandfather who passed away already and have a party almost every day wow because we are like more than 36 grandkids yeah surrounded by the grandfather who wants to feed everyone to make a tea for everyone so i do remember how warmy and cozy it was before before all of this mm -hmm. you know like I do remember every morning before going to school, I can hear my my grandfather music. First, the radio there in Syria start first with the Quran, okay. which is religious, yeah. and then with Fayrouz, the most famous uh, singer in Middle East, 
And after that, I could hear my grandfather's voice yelling, a beer, come and take your fresh bread. So I go down to the main floor and I grab the bread and get up to dress up. And then before leaving to school, he's like, hey, hold on, come and have your warm tea before you go to school. That's what I always remember about living in Syria. Plus that outside that home, it was... It was one. We were all like one. You know, it doesn't matter which religion you are. I have a friend from Jew who is Jewish. I have a friend who's Christian. Mm-hmm. And we were all going to the same school. We were all respecting each other, yeah. having good life. You know, it was safe. I do remember before celebrating Eid, we were going until 3 a.m. just buying clothes and be ready for our big celebration, you know. Yeah. So it was safe free and full of respect and belonging you know yeah it sounds like family was very important not just for who you're related to but but for everyone in the community it is for everyone so back home you don't have to call to have friends coming by they just knock at the door if they found you there they are more than welcome to come and have what do you have for lunch or for supper we used to make supper in 10 minutes just to welcome friends and families and relatives but everything has changed now i think i guess Mm -hmm. like so that's what i do remember that people it's all about people it's all about having people in your home in daily basic life yeah and then you moved to Dubai with your husband mm-hmm. to be with your husband's family or to... My husband was all by himself there okay. and staying there depends on your job. Okay. So he had a good, decent job for both of us, but I, I had to find a job. Right. First to get my residency and second is to help and support my, my husband, right? Mm-hmm. So... I started navigating the system and looking for a job and I thought my English is pretty good because, you know, I'm educated and I'm graduated and I'm supposed to have some good English. But so I started applying and submit resumes everywhere and I got many interviews, but I've noticed that I have the vocabulary, but I don't know where to use it. So I paused for a while and I said, I'm not ready for this job. And I stayed home Mm -hmm. studying all by myself from TV, listening to news, reading some stories and books, buy the newspaper every day and translate it into Arabic Mm -hmm. and try to learn some. So one day I told my husband, I think I'm ready, which was four months from just moving from Syria to Dubai and he's like, are you sure about it? Because he noticed that I got disappointed and I cried for like almost two hours feeling that I didn't do it. I failed for the first time in my life, right? Mm -hmm. It was a horrible feeling. I do remember the last interview which forced me to quit looking for a job. It was with a lady from United States when she started talking and talking and talking and I got nervous and at the end I all I said is I'm from Syria and I quit wow it was really I can't describe it it was I was very disappointed and Mm -hmm. frustrated right so after four months and learning some English and I noticed that I my English get better I applied and I got a job wow I worked as a civil engineer assistant there Mm -hmm. and I was happy at the beginning, but then I've noticed that I was pregnant and this job was really tough. I used to have two shifts and I asked them to work from home, but then they did not understand that I'm a pregnant woman who have sick days sometimes, right? Who has sick days and I have to stay home. I can't just open the door for anybody knocking at my door saying, hey, we need... We need to know by now if we take this project or no. Can you do the calculation? Can you do it for us? And I said, I can't do it anymore. anymore. I need to take care of my health and my baby, right? So I quit that job and I take some rest with my difficult pregnancy for nine months. And then I had my baby, my first baby, Abdullah, who's now 14 year old. Wow. Wow. Yes. So after that, after having him, I thought... And when he turned, I think, one year old, Mm -hmm. I thought that it's time to get back and find a job because, you know, expensive, 
life and many needs to be covered by me or my husband. He yeah. couldn't do it. It's it's very, very expensive life there. It's tough and I needed to support him. So yeah. I looked off what I miss now. So I had my driving license and I started applying for a job. But then I paused for a while. I said, what do I want to do now? Yeah. Civil engineer with a baby coming mm. home by 8, 9 p.m. Yeah. It's... It's insane. It is. illogical, right? So I thought, okay, all my life I wanted to be a teacher. Wow. And I used to tutor kids since I was 14. Yeah. And I had my first job in teaching when I was going to um, study in university. So I had, I used to be a supply teacher. So I said, I love teaching and I need to continue with that. So I started applying for different schools and nurseries in my neighborhood or in my area. And I did find a job in nursery. So I thought nursery is a good start because I can take my son with me who's just... It's so perfect. You sound so like you, you sound so in control and power and, and self-reflective, like each of these stages is it just looking back on it now that, that you were so, that you understood what you wanted or? I usually look at what I have now yeah. and what I need to improve, discuss it with my friend and my husband, who's yeah. same person. Yeah. And we always create a plan. I used to have a yearly plan and every three years plan and every five years plan. Uh-huh. So I think communication with your beloved or people who really care about you is very important yeah so and I think again it's not the luck but it's I think it's my parents prayer and it's I never hurt anyone so I always expect that the good will come right good thing will come I will never get hurted because I never hurt anyone so believe that your life will be always better and better if you just like achieve one step every while yeah so and maybe because I was young and maybe because I I wasn't crazy about achieving so quickly right so I young you have time right so being a mom and a wife in this foreign country I know it's an Arabic country Mm -hmm. United Arab Emirates it's an Arabic country but the language is different. So English is number one there. You have people from all around the world, more than 120 um, cult, different culture right. and different nationalities. So you need to, to talk in Filip- to Filipino guys who work in a gas station right. in different accent than yeah. working with Indian people who has totally different accent. So adjusting the new life and learning the daily basic mm-hmm. routine and change needed time needed time but communication with my husband helped me a lot to go through all of these difficulties easily yeah well going from a a large you know community family where Mm -hmm. everyone was always talking Mm -hmm. or communicating or sharing Mm -hmm. to just two people yes having you're you're becoming all of those parts for each other Mm -hmm. in this new very different space Absolutely, especially that he was from different country and have different culture, even when it comes to food, right? Yeah. So we both speak Arabic, but different culture. Yeah, you're right about what you said, and my family was always worried about me and calling me, except my dad, who believed that I will do great job because yeah. he know what he raised, right? Yeah, and he told me once, like, I'm not worried about you because you wanted to travel since you were young. Yeah, you were thinking of traveling, and this is the perfect, f- the best for you. And he told me that traveling will teach you a lot, so don't worry. Just mm-hmm. learn and learn as much as you you want, and. Again, believing that the best is coming yeah. and have positive expectation was always supporting me. Yeah. So your family grew from three to four. When did you have your second child? Three years after having my son, I got my daughter, Sama, who's now yeah. 12 year old. Uh, yes. So I had my son Abdullah in 2005 and when he turned one, 
I started working at the nursery so I could take him with me mm -hmm. every day and I could watch him from window playing with kids yeah. like in his age and um, then when he turned two and he was eligible for daycares or we call it nursery there in schools mm -hmm. said this is the time to move and find a job in school when I can really teach yeah. right taking care of 20 or 25 kids who are really cute is great but there's no teaching part you yeah. teach them the daily routine but you don't teach education or uh, you don't provide information you don't teach them how to read and write and yeah. achieve success in life right so started applying and I applied only for one school yeah and I got the job yeah so I started teaching Arabic language for non-speaker that okay. means um, student from all around the world had different nationalities yeah. who has to learn the Arabic language because they are in Arabic right. uh, country right so it was like a daily uh, 50 minutes class right so like ESL here. it's like an okay. ESL yes yeah. similar and it was kindergarten again cute kids oh, so yeah. my experience with the nursery helped me to get this job plus my experience teaching when I was 14 or 15 yeah. up to 20 year old right so everything you do in life will give you rewards later absolutely so just don't say no to anything yeah. and just go forward you know yeah. and say yes for any opportunity and then add it to your experience. Absolutely. But yeah. learn how to say no when you have too much. I, I still yes. can't say no. Yeah. <laughs> I still can't yeah. say no. I always remember when <clears throat> Bish reached me out for living library, I yeah. said yes before <laughs> even get any details. So, yeah. and here I am. Yeah. Well, and it is, but you have, um, you have this wonderful sense about you that you're going to find the next adventure mm -hmm. and you're going to face it head on that mm -hmm. you will you'll find a way to achieve the goal or to make the goal something that you can achieve mm -hmm. I think when you keep in your mind that you want to do something different and you want to achieve something it mm -hmm. doesn't matter how big it is could be simple could be big yeah it could have a huge impact on people's life or very small impact but it will come back to you yeah. with good results for sure. So being optimistic and positive about future will help, will help a lot achieving success and um, better life. Yeah. So why did you leave what you had? You had this, mm -hmm. this great thing going on with your kids and your family. Many different reasons. Before I got married, before signing the contract, the marriage contract, mm -hmm. my, my husband hold my hand and he's like listen if you marry me to move to Dubai which was every girl's dream I'm not staying there right. I'm immigrating to Canada and I was waiting to get married to achieve more points so I will be eligible right. and we did but at the beginning I, I told him that let me just raise my kids in Arabic country for a few years and then we apply right and we followed that plan. Remember I told you I have five years plan. So yeah. we, we, we planned after five years to apply to be immigrants and we did. Mm -hmm. And my husband had to do the eyelets and he did it and he got the points. Did he had to do the what? The eyelets. Eyelets. It's a, it's a language, okay. academic language. That's okay. right. Yeah. Yes. So he did get the marks uh, he needs to apply and we finished all the papers and we we had to wait for three years right so mm -hmm. another plan yeah. for three years so we were working I was still working in that British school private school and I was happy there working on my language learning more and getting many training in teaching and yeah. there when I got the chance to get my license in teaching right and my husband was working. He wasn't trying to change work because he was planning in traveling, right? Mm -hmm. he, he was like, it's okay. It's only three years and we will not be here. So we're fine with what we have now yeah. until we, we travel and we've been waiting. But then it's more than three years now and no news. Okay. So we had to check. So we went back to our lawyer and it's like, where is it? Yeah, Everything was ready. The next step was having the call to do the medical test. 
right? Because when you immigrate, you they count your points according to your education, mm-hmm. your age, many other things, and they accepted us potentially. So yeah. the next step is the waiting period and then medical test and then just the visa, right? right? Yeah. So we were there, almost mm-hmm. there, but we didn't get it. Our lawyer wasn't honest with us, so we had to hire another lawyer to check why we're not hearing from Immigration Canada. And here was when another lawyer said, unfortunately, you've been rejected because they did not receive any paper or any document. (gasps) So waiting for three to four years, very close to your dream, just went. So the lawyer didn't 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 submit any paper, any document. So we had to go to the court. Another two years, we won it, but we lost lost how many years and how much money. It wasn't cheap, right? And you lost your dream. Yeah. So we thought that if this is your dream, if this is what you want to do, let's try again. So we hired the new lawyer company and we submit our documents again. You have to go through everything again. You have to travel back home to bring your police check and many other documents. It's a long process and it takes time, money and energy. (laughs) So we did again and we've been waiting, but here when my husband lost his job, so he was very close to to lose his residency. And because I am independent with him, so I might lose it. Right. I asked for help from my principal, my uh, my school principal, and she could offer it for me, but according to my salary, I couldn't give it to my family members, right? So again, we had to sit and have a different plan. So my husband started looking for a job everywhere, but here when it comes to nationality and politics, which I hate... They said no for Iraqi people because they want to send them back home, right? Right. So he couldn't find a job. Everybody wanted to hire him, every company, because he had more than 15 years experience there. But he couldn't because of his nationality, because of his passport. So plan B, which is go back home. So he tried to go all by himself to Iraq. He tried twice. What year was this? It was... 2014 okay. before that 2013 so 2013 he went to Baghdad his home uh, city mm-hmm. which is the capital of Iraq and he was almost kidnapped so he had to leave after two two days and he's like no cross Baghdad we can't get back to my home country and then a friend told him go to a different city in Iraq when they have uh, American company and multinational uh, companies and he tried to go to different city and again he couldn't stay the night there because they know he's stranger they know he's he was coming from Dubai when everybody's rich you know like random right. <laughs> information yeah. which wasn't true at all so he had to leave and he noticed that he lost his home Right. He lost his country. Yeah. He lost his ID. And he had to leave the hostile country. So I thought, what about I try? When it was 2014, yeah. after his second trip to Iraq. So I said, let me try. So I called my brother who was there and Damascus was okay. So he's like, come and see. But then we canceled the idea. But after a few months, I heard that my dad got hurt. Right. Uh, because of a bump in the neighborhood. Uh, so it's like, nope, I should see my dad. Yeah. I couldn't speak with him on the phone. So I thought that I might, I might lose him and I will regret for the rest of my life. So I took the risk, which was again planned risk. Yeah. If there is something like this in life, yeah. I would call it planned risk because I called um, my brother there. I arranged for transportation, for safe transportation, Let's say, let's say, and... I was going for um unknown place. I know it's my home. Mm-hmm. It's my city. It's my parents' house. But I didn't know what's going on there. I was just listening to news, right? Yeah. I know 2014, Syria was under attack. But how how bad is it? I didn't know. Right. So I got the guarantee from my, my brother that I will be safe. And again, because you have no family in Dubai, 
you have no place to leave your kids. Right. My my husband has to continue his contract, right? So I had to take my kids with me. And we went. And I've noticed that I was stranger in my home country mm-hmm. the moment I landed. I wasn't welcome in the airport because of my my city ID or because of my religion. I don't know, because of a reason, but I wasn't welcomed. I No one respected me in the airport. No one welcomed my kids who has an Iraqi nationality. It's like, mm-hmm. no, for any nationality. You can get in, but not your kids. It's like, excuse me, where do I leave them, right? So I did not feel comfortable. And an hour after an hour and step after a step, I've noticed that me too, I lost my country. Yeah. So I had to stay only for a few days because it wasn't safe for my kids. We got attacked many times and uh, survived for two times from shooting, random shooting. So it's like, it's time to leave. Couldn't leave before the five days because there was no airplane and I had to go every day to the office. You know, when you have a war, no technology. So they go back to the old way and you go, you fight to have a seat in the airplane. And I did it every day with my dad. He was not happy that I came without his permission, but he was happy to see me. Yeah. So it's like, can we go? Every morning is like, you go. I said, you're sick. You can't move. He's like, either I go with you mm-hmm. or you go with your brother. But again, it's like he didn't trust my brother who allowed me right. <laughs> to come to the country in that situation. So yeah. he was with us in the car every morning until I had the chance to book three seats to fly back to Dubai. And I told my husband at the um, uh, airport there in Dubai that I lost my country too. Yeah. I don't think I can go back. My kids were not welcomed there and we all were not safe there. So here we're, we were thinking of a second plan. We talked again to our lawyer and asked to uh, fast or go forward with a process. And he's like, it's taking time. It will take two years to three years until you hear something from Immigration Canada. And we couldn't wait but there was no solution no other solution until we a friend Mm -hmm. who's American offered us a solution so we discussed it we went through worst scenario and best scenario and we took the risk we we got a visa visit visa to United States right and we entered the border to Canada and we claimed refugee Wow. So we put everything behind in Dubai. We we sold everything, cars, yeah. furniture. I quit. <laughs> and we moved. Wow. It was a risky decision. But I think because we didn't have anything to lose. Mm-hmm. And we just went to home. We were looking for home. And I didn't want to waste more time. I didn't know about the new lawyer I didn't know if we would get accepted or no. Yeah. And this is my husband's dream since 15 years, right? Yeah. So it's like, there is an opportunity. It's legal. And this is what we want. So I think I lost the dream job, yeah. which I had. And at that time, I felt so sorry that I'm putting all my dream behind. But you know, when you are a mom mm-hmm. and a wife... And a person who lost country, you just think differently. Yeah. After making the big trek mm-hmm. and you made it into Canada, you spent three months before the government accepted us. accepted you. Yeah. What, what was that? What was that like? What was that process like? I've noticed that. My husband wasn't the same man who was really excited about his dream. Instead, he was nervous, Mm -hmm. he was unsure, and he was disappointed with, let's say, um, the slow process and the time we had to spend doing nothing. Right. Because we had to go to the court to get accepted. It happened after three months and we we thought, that's it. 
we're good. But then we noticed that we had to wait for another year to to get permanent residence, right? Okay. Or to be a, per, a permanent residence. And I think I was a little bit stronger, if I can say that. Maybe because my husband was responsible or feeling responsible about this decision. Yeah. And it was all his fault, but... It was a decision made by both of us yeah. and I I was ready for any challenge or for any change. I knew it was it would not be easy, but I did not think it will be tough or hard on on two educated person who yeah. have life experience and a good English, let's say, or had had a good English. Yeah. We thought we had good English and enough experience to settle faster than what happened right. but again this is the process this is the normal transition for any people had our status right mm -hmm. so I've noticed that it was fair it wasn't for me because I'm from Syria or for my husband who's from Iraq no it was a normal process and fair for everyone from any other nationality right but again it's about spending thousands to hire a lawyer and to go through the documents again yeah. and the interviews, it wasn't easy. So we yeah. had to settle for three months in my husband's uh, auntie's house. Okay. And then we moved, uh, which was in Bickering, and then we moved to Coburg. Right. So we, we had to make this another big step yeah. <laughs> and has another transition within the community, within mm -hmm. the same country, let's say, but it was also different. It was moving, sounds like moving from country to another country because different daily life, different kind of people, let's say. Yeah. We're, we moved from multicultural neighborhood to... Coburg. Exactly yeah. white, white uh, yeah. community. So, but again, my husband was nervous about it. And yeah. I think we were exhausted of mm -hmm. what we've been through and we just needed to settle, right? So we moved and we lived there. I do remember my husband said Coburg is like Mississauga or like Ottawa or like, likes any other city in Canada. We know no one. Yeah. It's new for us and let's take the challenge up. And I said, I'm ready to take any challenge with you oh. and let's make our own story. Because in Toronto or in, in Bickering, I've noticed that people were sharing their own experience, which made on their own decision. Mm -hmm. It's not, it wasn't necessary. My story wasn't necessary. Same, same circumstances. So it's like, let's make our own story and we did yeah so we lived in Coburg and we thought it will be a year before we move back to the big city Toronto so we started navigating all the cities all the cities around us and go one day to Hamilton another day to Oakville another day to Ottawa we were like going around just trying to navigate where do we settle or where do we live and we wanted to spend the time waiting for our legal documents we we were waiting to get normal sin number like anybody else mm -hmm. um waiting to have uh, reference waiting to have network right so we were outside volunteering and talking to people and here when i noticed or i felt the peace and uh, the easy life in Coburg. right, right? It's, it's different yeah it's easy. You have an access to everywhere within six minutes. Mm -hmm. So my kids were everywhere, literally everywhere, and participating in every activity. So they, they felt happy. Yeah. My son wasn't happy in Pickering School. He, no one welcomed him there. He had a fight at the first day mm -hmm. for just having a basketball. But everybody welcomed him in Coburg School. Everybody, he came back with uh, messages from all classmates saying you're welcome and many girls wanted to have a crash with him <laughs> and he, he was different yeah. at the beginning he was sad and I do remember he's like I just settled in Brooklyn school why do we move now yeah. you know we, we did not share steps with them or 
future plan because they were kids. He was in grade four and my daughter was in grade one. They were not ready for all of this unexpected plans or the new life. So we were just sharing the good, positive plans with them and we were just like including them in activities to keep them busy and happy. And it did work. This plan did work. Yeah. I have to be honest, many nights I cried. My husband did the same. Mm-hmm. We had some failures. But again, we came with strong um, ability, let's say, right? We we were... And you were a I team. don't want to say... Exactly. I couldn't do it myself. No. He couldn't do it himself. Yeah. Partners. We were partners yeah. and discussing and talking. And at the same time, making some time to have fun with Mm -hmm. the kids and navigate the system and the new life and the new country. But what I want to say that sometimes we were feeling hopeless, but we did not regret because we lost everything. So we knew from the beginning that we had to leave Dubai one day. It's beautiful country. It's fair country. But again, I don't want to say we were not welcome, but we were not welcome to settle and make it country, yeah. our country. Yeah. We were always visitors. Right. And we had to leave one day. So the decision we made, we had to make as soon as possible in order to have a better life somewhere else sometime. Yeah. But I think it came as a surprise for us. Like, it's weird. I know that my husband planned to leave, but he didn't plan to live in that way he yeah. didn't decide to create to uh, claim refugee he wanted to come yeah. as a migrants skilled person who was ready to give yeah. the moment he's here but we couldn't because of other reasons mm-hmm. wasn't us wasn't our ability wasn't financial issue it wasn't it was something we couldn't handle do you feel like you're home now Honestly, I felt home the moment I entered the border (laughs) when the officer said, Abir, you're welcome to Canada. Everybody will welcome you because of your name. (laughs) It was a joke. (laughs) But I didn't get it at that time. I didn't get it at at that time. And now I use it as a job so people don't forget my name. But um, there was a few times when we thought that or to be more honest, it was my husband who felt like, let's settle and I can go back to Dubai, have a job and send you money to survive here. But again, we're partners. Yeah. We're, it's not a money issue. It's not financial issue. It's us and how can we make and how can be happy Together. as a family. Yeah. It's like, I know that one year will be more than one year. It will never be one year away from us. and. Yeah kids are growing so fast right and we went we wanted to approve that we are good parents and I think we did many times nowadays hear from my kids that you're heroes guys yeah yeah they appreciate what we did because they could see the difference now and they could feel home right soon they will be citizen and I hope they will feel this is their home and I hope they will appreciate the the risky plan we got to be here. (laughs) And I think this sense of home is being able to be yourselves together where you are. The idea of finding it in Coburg is, it sounds bizarre. Um, At the beginning, yes. And I had to remove my hijab at the beginning because again, I, I listened to people's story from Toronto. Yeah. But soon I've noticed that people in small towns are more friendly. And if they give you that look, it's because maybe they are surprised to see a woman, the only maybe woman or two women there were wearing hijab when yeah. I came. That was 2014. Yeah. So before the Syrian crisis, now Syrian women everywhere. But... They were curious, why do I wear it? Yeah. Why I have to wear it? And what means to me? But I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. When I started volunteering in the community 
and people started knowing more about me, they were brave enough to ask me questions. Yeah. And back to your question about feeling home, I really felt at home when, when I could help and I felt belong to this community when I was part of the community welcoming new refugees yeah. and newcomer families to the community. I was part of the Canadian society who was welcoming my hometown people, yeah. right? It's, it was a weird yeah. feeling, but I really felt strong again. Mm -hmm. I, c I could do something. I could do some change in people's life, mm -hmm. helping melt the fears of them or the misunderstanding and helping the new refugees to settle faster than what I did because yeah. they have a hand now. They have someone who speak their own language and share their home, same culture, yeah. welcoming them. That was a huge impact in my personality and life and yeah. I felt belonging. To be more honest, still feel that Syria is my home. And it will be in my heart forever mm -hmm. because I am Syrian forever, right? But again, some stories happening in daily life will push me to change my mind and feel more belonging to the Canadian society and mm -hmm. feeling that Canada is my home, right? That, but the feeling that no one can kick you out and no one can ask you to leave because you lost your job or having fair life is really impacting us positively, right? What happening to me might happen to Canadian. Doesn't matter what nationality you have or what background you came from. Maybe we can visit and go, but not often, right? They are far, far away. This is what make Canada not home. Yeah, but it's not the the life. I I have a job, beautiful job, and my kids settled so good in schools. They feel part of the community, part of the Canadian society. My husband has his own job, and he has full time job, and he's studying. Like we're doing, yeah, we're doing because we want to do because this is us. We don't want to depend on someone else. We're not here to ask for help. Mm -hmm. We're here to contribute, to contribute. We're here to do something. Yeah. We're here to make our kids proud, my family back home proud, and we're here to have a life. Yeah. We are here because we lost homes. So I'm speaking to you today as part of the New Canadian Centre Living Library. How did you get involved with the New Canadian Centre? First, I started volunteering at the New Canadian Centre in Coburg and they opened doors for me by including me in their daily activities or monthly activities or weekly activities. They give me the chance to speak up. They introduced me to the community in the best way mm -hmm. when they invited me to help and speak to the churches and to the people who were willing to sponsor Syrians. After that, there was a job opportunity through NCC and I did apply for the settlement worker in schools position yeah. and I got it because I have the experience in teaching and experience working with the Syrian refugees and here I am now for more than three years working happily, trying to do change in someone's life. Yeah. And I admire my colleagues, my supervisors, my directors, and my daily life. I'm so grateful. I tried to move to Peterborough, but wasn't wasn't so lucky with uh, um, with finding a decent house in a decent price. But yeah. I was lucky to find a house very close to my kids' school, just 100 meters. And oh, again, amazing. I made another sacrifice, driving every day on 28 just to... Yeah just to be sure that my kids have safe walk to home. Yeah. So moms, you know, we don't think about ourselves. We put priority to our kids. So really happy, really proud to be part of NCC. Like yeah. Whenever I go, I 
people ask me, where do you work? And the moment I say New Canadian Centre, there's like, guys, you're really impacting the society in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And thank you for what you're doing. Like a phrase like this can make your day, right? So I really feel proud and grateful. And I feel that I still can do more. I still can give. And the reason I like to be a sophomore worker in schools is because I work with youth, with the most vulnerable age, right? Youth who lost everything, put everything behind and come to start from the zero or maybe under the zero. I know we feel that, or Canadians feel that, let me use local because we will, eventually we will all be became Canadian, become Canadian, but local people think that they should appreciate the life they have now. Yeah. I'm sure they are appreciated and I'm sure they are very grateful, but it will take them time to feel whole. Yeah. It will take them time to make new friends and just keep in touch with the friends back home if they're still alive. Mm-hmm. So they just, just need time, the time I need it. Yeah. To feel home, yeah, they still need it, yeah, and you're there to help them exactly get through that time. I would like to help as much as they can to make it faster, yeah, and to help them have a smooth transition to the new schools and new community. Not only mm-hmm. me, everybody at the new Canadian Center. Yeah. So we work beyond our job and our salary mm-hmm. just to make them feel comfortable, yeah, and happy in any way. I think there's this wonderful sense of, um, as I get to meet more people who are involved in this project and more people who work uh, at the New Canadian Centre or families and individuals who have gone to workshops or attended groups, you, you really do understand this sense of an uplifting community, a very intentional community family. And I think that that's really important. But I But I also imagine that there must be such a sense of of solace of of understanding when you can look at someone and say like I understand this is hard mm-hmm. like you don't have to be happy you don't have to be productive mm-hmm. you don't have to just having that patience mm-hmm. of of knowing I'm still back in pickering you know mm-hmm. I'm like picturing your, your your process just surviving each day mm-hmm. and getting through the the basics having other people to be able to say like you know what, this is normal and this is okay and this is what you're going to feel and and just having a, a patient yeah. community of people understanding. It's mm-hmm. such an incredible resource that's grown over the years. When you're new in any neighborhood, all what you need is someone to welcome you, someone to give you the smile every day yeah. and to support you in any way. The support could be giving an information or giving a hand, yeah. or even visit, mm-hmm. or share something with you, or even ask you a question, not make assumption that you know more about their life. Yeah. Give them the chance. This is something, this is why I said yes for Living Library, because it will give me the chance and the opportunity to speak up mm-hmm. and to tell people my story instead of let them making assumption why I'm wearing this hijab or why I left Dubai. It's like, Dubai? Why did you leave Dubai? It's like, guys, you you know nothing, right? That's something I learned, that I've learned. We know nothing about each other's life. Mm -hmm. I know that you're working here, Jill, but I don't know anything about your life. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't like to hear the news about Syria Mm because I went there and I heard it from people's mouth. Right. Everyone individually has different story and they deserve the chance to tell it mm-hmm. or to say it or let the people have it or learn about it. Yeah. Everybody, everyone of us has something good inside. Mm-hmm. We just need the chance to speak it up and let people know about it. So communication again we're going back to the communication with neighbor with colleague with co-worker with stranger in the street this is something i like about coburg that when you when when we used to walk everybody was smiling Mm -hmm. 
And we were shocked. It's like, I do remember my husband said, my cheeks are hurting. Yeah. <laughs> we, you moved to small town Ontario. Everyone says hello when they ask you how you are. And that's this thing. It's like a small community within a big city. Yeah. But you actually, you're, you'll never be anonymous. Yes. Everyone will know more about you than you ever want them uh-huh. to. And sometimes that's hard. If you're different or if you're coming into a space. But in the long run, mm-hmm. people see you. Being recognized in a community, you're accountable to one another. And that's what, that's what makes small town Ontario this wonderful idea of, of community. Mm-hmm. And when you move from a big city, it's hard to understand it. Yeah, and I hear from many newcomer families that I don't want to move to a city when I have people from my country Mm -hmm. because they observed the nice of people here in small towns right so it's not people it's it's life it's the busy life they have there in big cities which maybe not allow them to smile back to your face or Mm -hmm. maybe they are somewhere else right so finding um or giving people excuses for their attitude is the best yeah Thank you so much for sharing no, your welcome. story. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's my pleasure. Thanks. anyone has questions about the Living Library Project or wants to learn about how they might get involved to share their own story or to learn more about what the New Canadian Centre does, how can people find you and contact Mm -hmm. you? The community can learn about our current roster of speakers on our website at nccpeterborough.ca slash livinglibrary. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can also email me or give me a phone call. My, and uh, my uh, my information, my contact information is on that website. Uh, but that website is updated uh, 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 as new information arises um, where you can be able to to learn about the speakers and, mm-hmm. and uh, learn about what their stories entail. And then in terms of booking a speaker, uh, you can contact me and uh, we go from... We have a discussion about what you want to hear about and uh, when and, and the logistics. And then I work with speakers to, to bring them to your organization for you to hear their story. Thank <laughs> you so much for putting this project together. And thank you for coming with everyone in here to Trent Radio. Thank you for giving Peterborough this opportunity <laughs> to learn more about the people who, who find it and who stay here and who call it home. Yeah. Thank you. F- thank you for having me and for being part of this project. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs>